Welcome to the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossenhill. This podcast is about an idea. It's the radical idea that queerness is a gift and that the divine celebrates it rather than merely accepts it. We'll explore the special role that queer people are meant to play in the coming spiritual awakening. Through the lives and stories of queer people, we'll explore the many ways of approaching the divine and how the sacred reveals itself in everyday actions. Most of all, this is a podcast about love. It's about the love of the universe. It's about love between people. And it's about the love a community can share with one another. Thank you for joining me. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Queer Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Crossan-Hill, and today I'm going to be joined by a very special guest, Ben Stimson. Ben is the author of the upcoming book from Llewellyn Worldwide, Ancestral Whispers, a guide to building ancestral veneration practices. And I think that this is very timely because if you don't know, I'm hosting a very special retreat in October called the Sacred Ken Samhain which is all about honoring our queer ancestors. And our queer ancestors, which Ben and I will talk about, are those people who sort of paved the way for us to be out and queer and who we are today. People who did the work and are no longer with us. And this is an opportunity for us to really honor them and their contributions to all queer people alive today. This retreat is also for people who struggle to make other gay and bi friends and for people who, for men in particular, who struggle with allowing people in and being vulnerable in their friendships. It's for gay and bi men who feel judged or don't like to be in queer spaces because they maybe have had bad experiences in queer spaces before in which they felt judged or they were told that they needed to be a certain way or act a certain way in order to fit into the queer community. And as a result of that, they kind of lost their magic, right? And I'm all about finding the magic of being who you are. So this retreat is really all about honoring our ancestors and also spending time letting go of the expectations and judgments we have when we are in community together so that we can see each other for the wonderful individual people that we are and really connect our magic in a way that is powerful, that creates a community that is supportive and loving, create those friendships that last for a lifetime, just all of that stuff, letting go of all of that stuff that we bring with us when we go into queer space, all of the hookup culture and objectification and all the things that get in the way of just relating to each other on a very basic level. And we're going to do that through some workshops and some conversations and also just from some downtime, spending time hanging out and talking to each other. And against the backdrop of all of that, we're going to be honoring our queer ancestors through ritual. We're going to have drum circles, bonfires. We're going to dance. We're going to listen to music. We're going to do a lot of different activities and 
have a lot of opportunities and you can do as much or as little as you want. So go check that out on my website, www.queerspirituality.net. Right on the front page, you'll see Sacred Ken Samhain, and that's where you can get all the information and register. If you need to make payments, you can make payments between now and, and the beginning of the retreat. Just check out with Partially when you go to buy your tickets, and you can do that with no interest, no additional charges. Just make payments, sort of a layaway towards your retreat. So go out there, get registered. I look forward to seeing you in October. Now, I'd like to take a moment and introduce our guest, Ben Stimson, who, as I mentioned, is the author of the upcoming book, Ancestral Whispers. Ben Stimson is a therapist, lecturer, student, and spiritual director. Ben has developed courses on a variety of topics, including ancestor veneration, the power of story, and folklore. When not working with clients or writing, Ben is engaged with his areas of study, religious studies, medieval and classical studies, folklore, and spirituality. Learn more about Ben at his website, www.benstimson.com. Hi, Ben. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Julian. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so, I'm so excited for this conversation because you have a book coming out in September, I believe, um, Dude, yes. called Ancestral Whispers, yes. and all about venerating and honoring our ancestors which is something, yes. yeah which is super <laughs> important to me um but before we get into talking about the book which i, I definitely want to spend a lot of time on on that um one of the questions i ask every guest in on my show is what does queer spirituality mean to you oh so that is something i try to work with my clients on um and i i have to be honest it's one of those I'm caught between multiple different definitions. I find that that the, the breadth of queer spirituality for me is so broad. On one hand, you have queer and queerness, you have spirituality, and then the crossover between those two. Um, I think the working definition I've come to, and it's constantly changing, but the working definition for me is queer spirituality for me is the idea of unlocking my vastness by unzipping, by taking down constructs, by moving and experimenting with parts of myself, my, myself in this, limin, uh, in this liminal space of, of temporal um, uh, reality that we, we exist in right now. So unlocking those higher aspects of self through the lenses of my queerness. So whether that be my gender identity, whether that be my sexuality, um, and, uh, and, and then how, do that, how does that connect with others of those communities. So it's a working definition. It's a working definition. <laughs> well, I think I think lots of us have working definitions in that way, because as we explore more and more our gender identity, our sexuality and our spirituality, it evolves and, and grows with us. Right. So, yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your spiritual path. You know, what is it that you do spiritually and, and how did you kind of arrive at this place where you are? Absolutely. So to fast track or go back a little bit, um, you can probably tell by my accent I'm not Canadian. Although I live in Canada, I'm originally from the United Kingdom. And so somewhat the, the kind of the, the overarching narrative of my life has been being away from home and trying to find a, a sense of home. So my spiritual path really started as a, as a process of trying to reconnect with a sense of home. And so when I was a teenager, I was coming out as gay. 
starting to understand myself in that way. Um, I was also trying to reconnect with a sense of home that I wasn't feeling in middle of rural Canada here. And Christianity just didn't feel that. So I started on the path of paganism. Um, from there, I was introduced to Hinduism and Buddhism. And uh, eventually in university, I started to um, explore comparative religion. So from there, I started looking at philosophy. And uh, and I connected with a few years after, um, in the past, I'd say probably about seven years, I've really been connecting with the indigenous community, um, uh, the mythopoetic movement, the, the kind of the psycho-spiritual community. Um, and I even had... Uh, many years involvement with uh, Santeria Lukumi, the Afro-Cuban tradition. And what connected all of those was a sense of animism, a sense of place, a sense of community and relationship. And so now I am really reconnecting with the kind of spiritual stories of my homeland. Um, I'm connected with Druidry, uh, again, another form of neo-paganism there. Um, but I would say probably traditional kind of animism and an animistic approach um, is the, the underpinning of my spirituality. So I've, I've come a long way. I've, I've been involved with many different traditions um, and they've all propelled me towards kind of the sense of, of relationship and focus focusing on spiritually relating to others. Yeah, great. Well, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. I think it's so interesting how people arrive at their, how their journeys sort of wind and twist. Um, you know, I've, I've been through many different traditions myself and ceremonial magic and various branches of Wicca. And yeah, so it's, it's always interesting how, how it kind of winds and twists. And sometimes we come back where we started. Um, yeah, wonderful. So let's talk about your book. I've been really mm. dying to, to dive in on this. So course, Ancestral definitely. Whispers, A Guide to Building Ancestral Veneration Practices. So topic you don't hear a lot about, but I'm curious, first of all, this is your first book, right? Yes, it's my very first okay. book. <laughs> okay, so what made you decide on this as a topic for your very first book? Well, that actually goes back to um, kind of my site, my a lot of parts of my life all intersect. It's one of those interesting parts. I, I actually, um, in recognition of that, I think your uh, viewers can see that, um, I have a, a tattoo of a web of weird uh, right where I can see it because so many parts of my life interconnect. The, the book really started as a personal journey. When I was starting to study psychotherapy back in 2017, um, I was also living and and uh, and dwelling in uh, my godfather's house in my, in the in the Santeria um, Ile that of Lukumi Ile that I was joined in the spiritual house. And one of the major starting points off in African traditional religions, I would say traditional religions all over the world, is a reconnection with ancestors. Now, ancestry is something that has always been interesting to me because I was taken away from home at such a young age. But the ancestors, my great, uh, my grandparents, my great grandparents, and all of their stories um, are a remote kind of idea for me, a concept for me. So when I started to dive into um, kind of working with ancestors as part of a spiritual practice, um, simultaneous to that, I was also encouraged as part of a big school assignment to look at. Um, ancestor as a, a form of uh, family system. So in psychotherapy, we uh, we have this uh, this concept of the family system. It comes out of family systems theory, and uh, it's just this, uh, this idea of 
Um, you as a product of family culture, that family culture is developed through multiple generations and so on and so on. And so uh, the assignment was to look at family story and look at how your individual story, my individual story, connected with uh, and related to the stories of my parents, the stories of my grandparents and so on and so on to track kind of the, uh, the family culture as it evolved down the generations. So to have both the spiritual and also the psychotherapeutic heavily working on myself um, in that way, um, ancestor work became a big, important part of my life. So in 2019, I was coming to the end of the program. I was looking at ways to put myself out there, start to build. I'm sure you realize, um, you know what this feels like when you first start to put your career together. You're looking at, well, what, how can I make a difference? How, what, what, what can be my niche? And I looked around and there wasn't that much around ancestor work. And I think that's, that says there's a lot to, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, there were some amazing books, but they were very particular. These are one way of doing ancestor work, or these are, um, these are particular approaches. And each of those books, many of them anyways, were giving people a tradition to follow, as opposed to asking people to go deeper and connect with their own ancestors in an authentic, uh, integrated and integral way. So I started to think, okay, well, I'm going to put together something. So I, I sat down and I wrote a course, an eight-week course to work with clients. And, and at that point, I had quite a few clients and, um, and I, I, I presented this. Um, and, uh, and the course was good. We had three people, which, I mean, to start out with was excellent. And we had a really interesting and wonderful time. And as I built the course, I think I, I worked on the notes for it for four months or something like that. Um, I, uh, I started to appreciate that we as a society have a very un, uh, I want to say uncategorical, we, we as a society really have a, a, a messy relationship with the concept of death. And at around that time, I was invited to a deaf cafe, uh, a dumb supper, I should say, which is a, a tradition where you go and you sit with the dead um, and I had an, a, an incredible experience with one of my ancestors, my grandfather came through. And so I knew that for me, it was such a, a wonderful personal experience. And I grew from that, but I really wanted others to start to explore this too. So I encouraged the people in the group that I, I the course that I put together um, and uh, to, to engage in relating to their ancestors in that way. And all of them it changed their lives. It didn't change their lives because I, de I, I developed a course. It changed their lives because it was a catalyst for them to reconnect with their story, reconnect with their own story. And all I did was ask the right questions. So I started to think, okay, well, this is good. I, I'll do this again next year and be good. And then the pandemic hit and all my clients disappeared because nobody could afford my services anymore. So I was like, shit, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you well, what do you do i think everybody was asking the, the same question what do we do now you know um and up in ontario here the government was giving us a lot of support um and so i uh, I, I signed on and i sat with this this mound of notes and having gone through this experience of doing this course with people and i thought you know what i think this could make a good book so i sat down with a friend of mine who was already published with my uh, with my publisher and i asked her like what what can i do to make this into something because i think this will be a good book and uh and so she's she gave me her um uh her publisher's email her editor's email and i started to put this together 
And uh, and then of course it all changed because when you actually sit down with a topic and write a you know 250 300 page book on the subject, it's going to change, evolve, and it deepened. So that's really the Coles notes of kind of where the book came from and why. Um, I think the, the the core of it really started about five years ago, but it took two years to actually write it and get all, through all the editing process. Yeah. Wow. That's 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 very interesting. Um, I love how it sort of arose organically from work you were already doing with your clients because that's really great. Um, it's interesting too because paganism has this weird relationship with their ancestors. I think you read lots of books, also by Llewellyn, even you know other pagan authors. They always talk about the ancestors. They they call on the ancestors in these rituals and when casting circle or doing this or doing that, but they never really it's sort of one-sided, you know, it's like, well, ask the ancestors for this stuff, but then there's really no other relationship with mm. them. It's sort of almost like this generic concept, the ancestors. And I don't think people really understand what that means. And I think, I think you hit on part of it. We have a weird relationship with death. I know a number of death midwives who, you know, have talked about this um, at great, great length, but we also we don't really stay connected to our older generations in our culture. Oh. And we sort of have lost some of those stories. You know, I, my father's family are not close at all. And my father and I are, are estranged. So I really know very little about that side of the family. I had always been told they were Irish. When I did Ancestry.com genetic testing, it turns out we're mostly Scottish. So, you know, it's like we don't really even know those stories. So how does someone get started sort of reclaiming their stories and their, and their connection to their ancestors? Absolutely. Well, and that is essentially why I wrote this book the way I did. So the book is not me telling you how to do ancestor veneration. It is a guided, it's almost like a long, a very long therapy session. This. So what I do is I present all of these different examples of living traditions around the world, how people are relating to their living ancestral traditions around the world. And I offer, I beg the question, what would it be like for you to be in a relationship with your ancestors in such a deep way like this? I then go in the second part to consider and look at what a living practice looks like, because you're right. I think a lot of Western paganism, um, the downfall is we kind of pay lip service to the ancestors. You know, we bring them in, we say, oh, we're going to honor the ancestors. And then we put a cup down and then we go on with our revelries, right? You know, there's no sense of, well, there's no, there's no tangibility to the ancestors, right? If you look at the majority of world traditions, and I'm not talking about just Christianity, but Christianity, a lot of traditional Christian um, cultures have ancestor veneration as a kind of a parallel path. Um, the ancestors are in the community. They're living with us, living in a different space. You look at any China, you go down to any Chinatown, any major metropolitan city, and you will find ancestor shrines everywhere. Because the ancestors, even if the individuals who are putting incense sticks and, and burning uh, offerings to them, don't necessarily believe in them because of kind of Western viewpoints. Um, if you go to China, you go to uh, uh, Southeast Asia, you go to Japan, especially the older generations, the ancestors are not only uh, very much in present in the world, but they're there waiting for those older generations to join them eventually. And the expectation culturally is that the younger people, just in the same way the younger people are, are taking care of the elders as they are living, the expectation is you 
better be taking care of us when we're dead. You better be burning us offerings. You better be sending us food. You better be doing all of these things. Because otherwise, you know, your great grandmother is not going to get very happy. And when great grandmother is not happy, things start to fall apart in your life, right? <laughs> so it's one of those, it, it's true. It's a tangible yeah. experience. And I think that we in the West, I think partly because of Protestantism, I, I honestly think that Protestantism is why this is happening. Because when you look at Catholicism and Orthodox traditions, the dead are very real um, and, and they're understood to be very real. In the West, we tend to think of the dead, even the way we talk about the dead, as having passed, having gone. They're somewhere else. They're somewhere intangible. They're away. Yeah. Whereas the majority of the world understand that the dead have a very strong impact and potentially are able to come back. And we need to be not only placating them sometimes, we need to be pleasing them, but also we understand that, uh, at least those cultures understand, that living people will eventually join those ancestors. So I think... I think how people relate to their ancestors is to understand um, how deep cultural biases are and to really think, you know, what do we actually believe about the dead? So I go through that. I talk about, you know, what, what, what are our conceptions of the dead? How do we conceptualize them? Um, what are our beliefs about them? You know, whether it be cultural beliefs or individual beliefs, I think the West is also um, such a, a, a melting pot of beliefs now that people have various different beliefs about the dead, um, from pop culture to you know traditional uh, religious beliefs to even just kind of new age beliefs that are floating about there too. So it's about coming back to self, understanding okay, what do I actually believe, and now I understand what I actually believe, at least working belief, uh, working um, understanding of what that belief is. How do I then connect with those dead? Why do I want to connect with the dead? Why do I want to um, have a relationship with the ancestors? What is that relationship going to look like? Right. So those are all key pieces that I ask in here. And a lot of the working activities in this are actually journal questions. So I ask after every section, really good questions to get people thinking. And then I guide them to, okay, well, what could a living uh, spiritual practice look like? Ritual yeah. practice. And for me, ritual practice is all about communication. You know, I think we, we often lobotomize ritual in the West because we don't necessarily see it for the powerful, um, powerful paracosm that it is. Not, not paracosm, that's the wrong word of it. But, um, you know, I think we psychologize ritual and spirituality a lot. And I think in many ways we, we, we don't, really connect in with the alternate realities that we can enter into through rituals yes. and you know what i mean yeah yeah i, I totally agree with that so, <laughs> so yeah um so i actually work with oracular trance and like spirit possession deity possession mm -hmm. work and so you know for us our rituals are very real because the gods actually show up um and partake and partake so it's it's far less psychological and yes. compartmentalized and sort of turned into this left brain activity. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, you know, we're talking about the concept of the dead and the ancestors passed on because mm -hmm. here in the Midwest where, where I am, uh, spiritualism has quite a big impact. You know, I'm not far from camp Chesterfield in Indiana. And I actually, in my circle, have a number of mediums. And so we have a very different approach and mm -hmm. sort of, idea of, of that of death and in in the fact that there's 
continuity beyond that, which is really interesting because it does sort of change the perspective on it. And so ancestors have been something that I've been connecting with more, um, which kind of leads me to, to my next question, because some of us, we have complicated relationships with our ancestors, with the, the people who have gone before. Um, you know, we don't always agree with some of the th decisions that they made, some of the things that they did. Um, so how how do you handle that when you have ancestors that maybe you're not terribly proud of? Absolutely. I think that's, um, I, I do talk about that book, uh, that in the book as well. That's a question that comes up often. And I think, again, that comes back to that idea of Western like perception of, 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 of reality. We tend to be very concerned with the ancestors who we know, right? Which is our family. We know our, our dead family. We don't necessarily know the ancestor from a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago. Um, and so we tend to be very focused on those blood relatives. Um, and so in the book, I really challenge that. I challenge the idea of what, first of all, an ancestor is, um, and then how you can relate with them, especially for um, our clients, the queer community. You know, we, we know that the queer community has a short relationship with family. This is why the whole idea of chosen family is so important for our people, yeah. right? Um, and various people I've, I have a podcast I'm, I'm doing currently, the majority of them are queer spiritual practitioners. I think I only have like two straight people who are uh, joining me this season. But, um, but I ask that same thing every single time. And I think that, uh, so to answer your question, I think that we need to expand the concept of ancestor, um, perhaps to even include uh, fictional characters, affinity ancestors, conceptual ancestors, expand this idea of how we're relating to others, maybe the sky, the land, this kind of comes back to that sense of animism too, right? When you look at um, indigenous traditions, I, uh, up where I'm from, up in Ontario here, we have a very large Anishinaabe community, uh, Haudenosaunee, um, members of the, of the Six Nations Confederation, and, uh, and a lot of those traditions are animistic in, in nature. Whenever um, elders in those communities are thinking about and conceptualizing their relationships, they're thinking about the whole of, of the world, right? They speak about their people and also all our relatives, which include the animals, the spirits of the land, the deities, everything, right? So I think, I think we need to not so much focus on the temporal kind of the very close ancestors that we had uh, an un, un, uh, unfortunate relationships with and, and fraught relationships with, and to look at ancestry as being expansive, right? We look yeah. at the collective. But I think also ancestor veneration, this is where the healing can take place. Ancestor veneration can give us the tools to begin to heal those relationships with those individuals who are dead. If they're dead, the relationship changes, and we don't need to put up with their bullshit as much anymore, right? <laughs> but also, we have then access to, you know, if, if great-grandma was a, uh, a, a, you know, a raging transphobe, did not understand anything to do with gender, and, and was constantly going on about, you know, those homosexuals and blah, 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 really, you know, homophobic stuff um we then have access to her elders and their elders and going back right 
And I think this comes back to, I think, understanding how you conceptualize and, and, and what you believe about the ancestors. For me, I understand the, the state of death as being a place of healing, being a place of retrospection, being a place of being able to see the repercussions of your views in life, right? I had a wonderful experience with my grandfather during that dumb supper where I asked him, why were you an asshole to my dad for so long? Because that's one of the things my mom has always told me, that my grandfather, although he's a wonderful man, was constantly being very hard on my dad. My dad would like is still living with that stuff now. And I had to deal with that through my dad, right? And he said to me, he said, I didn't know what I know now. And if I did, I wouldn't have treated him like that. And I could just feel the anger that I was feeling dissipate when I had that conversation with him, you know? Yeah. I could yeah. see him as as and I think that's also true. I think we the West tends to, when somebody dies, they suddenly become static. They can become locked in where they are at. I do believe that death is a place of, of spiritual evolution. Um, coming back to what you were saying about spiritualism. So I practice spiritism and spiritism is about uh, the, the um, French Alain Kardec um, branch of spiritualism. I know that they, uh, they came up separately, they're not a branch of each other, but um, they, they were very connected in many ways. Um, and, and spiritual evolution of a soul, I think needs to happen. That's a personal belief of mine. But I think that part of that process can be as a living person working on the on on kind of nudging those unhealthy ancestors to a place of healthiness again. But that being said, we also get to decide what that relationship looks like. They're dead. They don't have to be in your life if you don't want them to be. But you're in a unique position that if you want to work on that relationship with them, you can. And there's many, many tools. Um, Daniel Four, who is a psychologist and animist, um, has a whole system to work around um, uh, ancestral medicine, really wonderful way of, of practicing. It's one way of practicing, but it is a wonderful way of practicing. So I hope that answers your question, Julian. Yeah, I yeah, actually, you answered it really well. And I loved what you Thank said you. about expanding the definition of, mm -hmm. of ancestor, because I think that's important for queer people, especially um, when Michael Lloyd and I started the Between the Worlds gathering, you know, neither one of us are, are involved with it anymore and haven't been for a number of years. But when we started it in 2002, I think is mm -hmm. when we started it, we really talked a lot about the idea of queer ancestors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, them yeah. being people like Harvey Milk being a queer yes. ancestor and Marsha Johnson and um, even going back, like we, we both are fans of R Randy Connor's book, Blossom of Bone, and thinking about some of those early trans, like gender variant priesthoods of Inanna and the Gali and the different, the different traditions, spiritual traditions that have sort of been where queer people sort of were congregated um, and really considering them as our queer ancestors. And it's kind of a concept that I've carried forward in my own work and in my own practice. And in fact, um, on my, on my website, on the, on the homepage, I'm giving a retreat for over Samhain where we're going to focus on the queer ancestors. That's going to be the mm -hmm. thing we're doing. And, you know, I'm taking some of the things that I do with my students in oracular work mm -hmm. and bringing some of those practices to this idea of queer ancestors. So we're going to do an utsada, which is a Norse tradition of sitting out 
Normally the Norse do it. They're, they're hardcore. They sit on the, on the grave mounds. We don't have any grave mounds at the retreat site, but we're going to sit out in the woods and, and, and commune with our ancestors. And um, so I think that this, this work is really important and I'm glad that you've written a book about it because of this importance. And I think, I think it's true that queer people have such a fraught relationship with family. And so to think about ancestors as just being that bloodline mm-hmm. is really limiting. And we have to be, we have to think bigger on that. So yeah, I'm glad did. that you, glad that you said that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I want to make a point before we move on to the next question about that. I know you had Storm Fairy Wolf on a few weeks ago um, as, as another guest and something that Storm has, has often worked with within his, uh, his tradition um, is that working with the ancestors as a way of also bringing and raising the whole community up to, because that's the other part of, of ancestral work. Ancestor work is not just an individually focused practice. It is about connecting all of us. And so a lot of um, a lot of things that he does on his own social media page is he talks about queer ancestors. Um, today, as we're recording, is the seventh anniversary of the Pulse nightclub shooting. And yeah. All of those people are our ancestors. Look at how the community reacted. We all connected with those people. All of those young guys and all of those young people, um, they could have been friends of ours in any of the gay clubs, queer spaces in anywhere in North America, Europe, or anywhere in the world, right? Like looking at them, I could, I could, like, I didn't know them, but I knew them. And this is where the, the idea with the ancestors comes in is that we don't know them, but we know them, right? Because they're us, you know? Yeah. 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 I, thanks for sharing that. Cause I think that's a really a powerful idea. And my, my work um, as a, as a spiritual life coach, my, my group work is really around queer community. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an older, older gay man who came out during the AIDS crisis and our community was a lot closer back then. And I've kind of, kind of lost that, missed that connection that we used to have. And, and I think, so one of the things I talk about a lot are are what I call the EBFJs that, that break down our connection in the community and there are our expectations, our blame, our fears and our judgments. And so a lot of my work is around bringing people together and creating these experiences where we can let go of those and really find that connection, which is what this retreat over Salon is about. And I think this idea of queer ancestor that you're talking about and the way it unites the community, it's really, really crucial part of that work. Because when we think about all those lives lost to the AIDS epidemic or um, to to violence against queer people, all the transgendered black women who have been murdered just even in the last year, all of those, those are all ancestors. And when we think about them as being like, they're us. They, in in many ways, they're, they're different versions of ourselves. And it does sort of create that unity in the community. I think it creates healing as well. The unity, healing through unity. And I think we can become very, um, open to different forms of relationship in that way. Something I, po- I talk about in the book, and, uh, and and she's named in the book, so I can talk about her. Um, one of my best friends is a, a beautiful trans woman from Texas named Finley. And I've known Finley for years now, just online, but like we, we become really close. And Finley lives, is HIV positive. And 
uh, as a spiritual worker, um, she came and joined one of my classes for, for one, which was in the first cohort as a beta tester. And uh, we were chatting one day about her relationship to HIV because she, as I'm sure everybody who is diagnosed with HIV has a, a fraught relationship with that. She said something that really clicked for me when I started to really engage with my spirituality again, when I, she comes from a very evangelical Christian background. Um, and, uh, and when she started to really connect with her spirituality again, she became more aware of her psychic uh, and oracular skills. She started to become aware that there were other spirit guys at work in her life. And she couldn't pinpoint what they were exactly because they weren't ancestors in the traditional Western sense of blood relatives. But they weren't also, like, they weren't spirit guides in, like, the spiritualist or spiritist uh, sense either. They weren't deities. They weren't land spirits. What were they? She eventually clued in that they were all of the other people that that virus had passed through to get to her. Wow. wow. And she knew that those people had passed and that they were connected to her through that biological connection of the virus. And she knew then that she had these supporting individuals supporting her in taking care of herself. And she said, when I started to take care of myself, like working out for herself, not because she needs to look a certain way, not because of body dysmorphia, just because of, of taking care of herself so it would prolong her life and, and put her into a good place. Um, she could feel the reverberations. She was able to do things that they weren't able to do because they passed away. And she said for her, that was a wonderful ancestral connection um, that you wouldn't necessarily think of if you were stuck in this sense of, okay, ancestors are my parents, my grandparents, blah, blah, blah. blah. And they are her collective. They are her guys, she says. Right. Yeah. That, wow. That, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. I, I was so pleased that she allowed me to put that in the book because that is something I don't think, unless people are talking about those types of relationships, it's not going to yeah. click for somebody else. And and I'm like, she's an, an incredible person. I really love her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, your story touched on something else I'd like to kind of bring up and, and mm. hear hear from you on, and that's that's this idea of, of of spirituality. And you mentioned that she had come from an evangelical background, and then she as she grew in her spirituality, as she re, sort of reconnected to her spirituality, and I think that that's something that a lot of queer people they experience trauma in religion and then they come out, they get away from that religious background and they sort of reject all spirituality. There's so much like humanism and atheism and just, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about spirituality. I don't want anything to do with it in the queer community. And I think sometimes it's hard to really explain, like, what are you missing? Like, and so from your perspective, what are people missing when they reject spirituality in that way? It's it's funny. I was actually talking about this exact topic at a conference a couple of, like a, a month or so ago, and uh, and and that is a prevailing idea that you know is because of religious trauma, most queer people are not interested in spirituality, or that they are just gonna like completely disconnect from it. I think that that is a trauma response. It's an understandable trauma response, but it's a trauma response. I think that it it comes back to that working definition of spirituality, right? Um, 
I think that spirituality is a buffet that anybody can come and, and take from. I think that it has multiple components to touch on various different parts of, of somebody's life. Now, when I say buffet, I don't mean you can go to any spiritual tradition and culturally appropriate. I don't mean that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say there. Um, but I, I think that spirituality offers connection points for multiple aspects of a person's life, multiple aspects of, of our personalities. And, um, and you know, I, I know because spirituality has been such an important part of my life and it, yours as well, I'm sure. Um, and the vast majority of people I know, vast majority of the queer people I know are spiritual in some way. Most of them are neo-pagans, most of them are witches. But it's very fascinating to see then how they bend those traditions to themselves, how they connect and relate with others through those traditions. And for me, then, spirituality is about empowerment. Right? In the same way that ancestor work is about empowerment, it's about relationship and it's about coming back to oneself. So for me, a big part of my spirituality is understanding my story. Now that connects in with my therapy work, it connects in with my spiritual work, um, and it connects in with my sexuality, for example. You know, who am I when I'm, you know, having sex with a guy? You know, who am I in that moment? What role am I taking on? And then it starts to look more like um, um, secret sexuality, right? So I think for spirituality, I think people limit it to thinking of it only as religious, and I think it's much more expansive than that. Yeah. 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 That's a great answer. Cause I definitely agree. Spirituality should, should impact every area of your life, not just when you're in ritual or sitting in front of your shrine or Absolutely. in a, in a religious service, it should be yeah. everywhere. And I, I, I really like that you mentioned the story because your, your personal story is such an important part of the work that I do. I, I'm a human design specialist. So I work with human design, which is all about understanding your story, understanding the energetic design of your form, and then all the conditioning that that got sort of layered on top of it. And it's all about unraveling that story to get you connected back to that authentic, you know, what were you designed? How were you designed to operate? So I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, yeah, so many good things. And this, this book is just so, so important because of just it touches on so many areas and I'm really glad that we got to have this discussion. We're, we're close to our time, but I just want to ask before we, before we close, is there anything that you wanted to share or say that maybe we didn't get hit on yet? Oh, I'll be honest with you. I've been doing so many interviews, uh, both interviewee and interviewer over the past few weeks and months that um, it, it's, it's like timey wimey in my head. I think ultimately <laughs> It's horrible. Um, I think ultimately what I hope people get out of this book is about relationship. I think that ultimately it's about, um, about not culturally appropriating, but coming to a sense of, of working with the ancestors from an authentic place and coming back to the idea of story. I really hope that people get from this book a way of writing their own story even if that story is a chapter in the family story um, of, 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 of their family or in, in, in an anthology of a community, understanding that that section is theirs and they get to write it how they want. Now, that being said, they may make references to other people's stories in that. They may link 
and make allusions to other people's stories in that. But ultimately, it's their story. And I think that that is the most important bit. Um, the other piece is that the book comes out in uh, September for anybody who is interested in um, in ancestor work. This is non-prescriptive. Anybody from any background can pick this up and hopefully get something out of it. You don't need to be neo-pagan. You don't need to be uh, animist. You can be of any background. And I, I, I've written it in such a way that there are multiple examples from all over the place. Of course, I speak from my own spiritual background. Um, it's a very personal book. There's a lot of pieces in there around my own my own personal spiritual experiences and experiences of friends. Um, but I hope that it, it can be applicable to anybody in the community. Um, and uh, and if you do, please re, um, put a review on on uh, Amazon or wherever you end up buying it. Um, and I look forward to reading those reviews. And thank you for having me on the show today, Julian. Yeah, absolutely. So um, how can you have your website, uh, www.benstimson.com? Are, are there any other like social media handles or, or ways that people can get in touch with you? Absolutely. And uh, and if you could pop these in the show notes later on, um, I'm yep. on Facebook, uh, Ben Stimson Author on Facebook. I'm on YouTube, which is also host of my podcast. Um, I do have a podcast uh, going on with queer spiritual um, uh, individuals. And actually, Storm is coming on to my podcast in the fall sometime. Um, and uh, people can find me on Instagram. People can find me through my website. If you go to my website, that's where most of the links are. So benstimson.com. Okay, great. Thank you so much for, for joining me today and, and talking about your book and about writing your own story, ancestors, all of it. It's been, it's been really great. Thank you again. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you so much, Julian. Yeah. Thank you for listening. This has been the Queer Spirituality Podcast with Julian Crossan Hill. If you enjoyed this show, please consider leaving a rating on whatever site you get your podcasts at. Rating the show allows other people to discover it and be exposed to these ideas around queer spirituality. You can also find my blog and past episodes of this podcast at www.queerspirituality.net. That's www. Dot queerspirituality.net. You can also there find links to the Queer Spirituality Facebook group, my various social channels where you can get involved in the discussion or send me your feedback or questions or things you'd like to hear on the show. Thank you again for listening and for your support. Bright blessings.